0: We're going to be in John 15, so let's go ahead and open up there, and the reason I I gave the handout today is because it's such a rich text that um, there's things, I think, that we need to kind of uh, put into our long-term memory, and I I pray that it's a blessing to you. As we look at the, the last of the seven I Am statements here in John chapter 15, notice what Jesus says. Now, remember the background. He's left the, uh, the upper room, and now he's walking over towards the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before Jesus dies. He's giving them uh, information that they would need to hold on to because he's passing the baton on to them. So these are important words. And so as he's going, there's no doubt, you know, a vineyards there. And I'll bet you that maybe um, inspired what we have in front of us. John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, he tells his disciples, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Who is he talking to? The disciples. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing but bad, right? <laughs> If anyone does not abide in me, Jesus says, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them, where? Into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will prove or you will be my disciples indeed. And so Jesus here, not just an illustration, um, it's a a strong metaphor, probably what we would describe as an allegory, because an allegory is basically um, an illustration where all the details of this have significance. It's not just like a parable. As a matter of fact, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus told parables, but not in the gospel of John. There's no parables. Here we have an allegory. When you're interpreting a parable, not all the details have significance, but when you're interpreting an allegory, they do. And so all the different nuances here have spiritual truth for us. And so we want to kind of dig in a little bit more. We want to have an understanding of this. And so we have our outline here. The the main points being, number one, the parts in the vineyard. The parts in the vineyard. And we're going to look at what they are. Here we have a picture of a vineyard uh, as a whole. And isn't it beautiful? You know, and we're going to see the different aspects of that vineyard. Uh, Secondly, as we look at this, we see the purpose of the vineyard. You're like, what's it for? Is it there just to kind of look good? I mean, although it is beautiful, you guys know, huh? that's not the reason for a vineyard. The purpose of it, we have the second picture, is, is that, huh? Is that. And A lot of you are thinking already, wine. No, it's not wine. <laughs> Stop whining. It's not good for you. It's kind of interesting. My, my daughter sent me an article that appeared in mainstream media that drinking is not good for you. And I'm like, man, I already knew that. <laughs> But apparently, after all these studies, they've discovered that. You don't need artificial substance. You don't need drugs or alcohol. You are beautiful, just the way you are. But when we're looking at this, I just don't want you to get distracted. Understand that there is the parts, there is the purpose, and we're going to see ultimately to glorify God and practically to bear fruit. And then number three, when we look at this, what we're teaching right here, the allegory, that there is the peril of the vineyard. And um, the, the word peril, it means a serious danger. So you're going to want to pay attention to this as we get to it. I have one more graphic I want to show you before we dive in. And then, have you guys ever played that game? Sorry? Have you guys, who, who's played that game? I'm just curious. Okay. It's one of my favorite games because you don't have to think a whole lot, man. <laughs> you know, and uh, there is a little bit of a strategy involved, but um, the, the goal of the game is that you get everybody home, right? Home. And that's what I think when I'm looking at this text right here, that's the goal. Lord, may everyone that we come in contact with, may this be used by you so that they can make it home to that place called heaven. You know, you don't want to be sorry at the end of your life when you stand before God and you really didn't know him. And you really didn't submit to his revelation of how to get to heaven. You might have your own view. Well, this is how I think a person goes to heaven. Well, who are you? Are you God? No, Jesus came. He died on a cross, rose again. He said, this is the Bible. And he said in John chapter 14... I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So you place your faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging you're a sinner in need of a Savior. He paid the punishment for our sins. And so when you put your faith in him, I, yes, I trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Then, John 14, you, you get to come to Jesus. And then John 15, we're going to see, you need to stay with Jesus. That's what he says right here. Abide in me. Remain in me. Rest in me. Life is going to throw you a lot of curves. There's going to be a lot of crazy things that end up happening in life. They're going to try to divert you in different directions. And so it's a really cool passage. We see, first of all, the parts in the vineyard. You guys have it there in your outline. Number one, or letter A, Jesus is the true vine. When we're looking at the vineyard, he says in verse one, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He says it again there in verse five, I am the vine. And so not, not just a, a vine, but he's the true vine. And you might wonder, well, why does he say that? Um, it's because it's his not just name, it's his nature. He's not counterfeit, he's genuine. It's not imaginary. What we're talking about here is real, real. He's the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser where the branches. And and what we find is that you know when you abide in Him, you're you're connected and intimately, not just union but communion with Him. It's real. I'm the true vine. Now, the Jews, in hearing this, they would, right away, they would think of Israel and the Old Testament because over and over again, Israel is identified as the vine in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Uh, I encourage you to read it when you get a chance. Or Psalm 80, 8 through 18. Or Jeremiah 2, 21. We're going to read that one later. Hosea 10, verse 1. Over and over again, Israel was identified as the vineyard, but the problem was... Israel failed. They failed as the vineyard. Isaiah points out that Israel didn't bring forth good grapes, but they produced wild grapes instead. And wild grapes are what you would expect from a vineyard that was uncared for, it was without a vine dresser. Um, They would be small, they would be sour, uh, they would be spoiled. So Isaiah points out the fact that even though Israel had the lush land and the virtuous, valiant vine dresser, They rebelled in unrighteousness and they failed as a vineyard. Jeremiah 2.21 is a a significant passage. It says, Yet I had planted you. Think about it. He tells Israel, I had planted you as a noble vine, a seed of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien or a wild vine? And so... um, jesus you know he says i'm the true vine israel unfortunately they dropped the ball in one sense he's the new vine he's the true vine and there are new wineskins, and now there's a new covenant right and so you know we got to know that about israel we got to know that about jesus and just in case because i know you guys like to read commentaries and books and stuff like that you might read on this there are some who say well jesus is now the true vine Israel used to be, and so now Jesus has replaced Israel, and Israel no longer has a special or significant place in history. That's not true. We don't believe in replacement theology. Israel still has a significant place. They are still important in Bible prophecy, and in the tribulation period, the Jews will get saved, and they're going to be uh, like 144,000 Paul the apostles evangelizing the world and so uh, don't believe that yes Israel was the vine they failed but bottom line is now as Christians we have Jesus as the true vine so he's the true vine second part in the vineyard is that the father is the vine dresser and so most other translations use the word gardener And any of you guys do gardening? I'm just curious. Do You guys do that? Um, How many of you guys have a green thumb? Some of you do. Man, I wish I knew that secret. Is it that you talk to your plants? Is that what it is? (laughs) I don't know why. Usually mine die. But the father is the vine dresser. I was thinking about that. What an awesome gardener he must be. The vine dresser is the one who continually watches over every aspect of the vineyard. He uh, prunes, we're going to see, he fertilizes, he tends to, he cares for the branches. And he does everything basically in his power to make sure that each and every branch brings forth good fruit. And so, um, you know, vines are different than other plants. I mean, maybe you plant a tree and it does well because, you know, trees maybe don't require that much uh, care vines however they require a tremendous amount of attention and i was thinking about this you guys how we are as a church huh don't you think we require a lot of attention so like a vine requires an extreme amount of attention and so do sheep huh sheep require us a lot of attention imagine if the lord had described his church as cats if we were cats you know And I trip out on cats because cats—they can survive on their own, or coyote, or something. You know, cats—they clean themselves, um, they go and they find their own food, and they have their own fun, and they don't even need you a whole lot. Every once in a while, maybe to purr and pet them a little bit. But uh, see, what we are as as Christians—we're like a a vineyard that requires a tremendous amount of attention, and you know, we're like sheep who are uh, defenseless, who will get lost, and they are in a a passionate need of a shepherd. And so the, the thing about it, in looking at the vineyard, let me ask you guys a question. Jesus is the true vine. Will he fail you? No. The Father is the vine dresser. Will he fail you? No. We're the branches. We are the only variable in the equation of whether or not you and I will bring forth fruit for the glory of God. And that's why it's important for us to understand the different parts in the vineyard. You know, vines were grown sometimes on terraces. Uh, The ground had to be perfectly clean underneath. Uh, uh, Sometimes they were upheld by these little fork sticks spread throughout the vineyard. If it was a young vine, it had to be pruned drastically. If it was a mature vine, it had certain branches that had to be pruned within a two-month time frame each and every year. I mean, we're talking about meticulous care from the vine dresser. So much depended on him. And so for us, I think it's cool to know that our father is there and he's going to be working. You know, this is a really life-changing text for us, if you'll let it be. The, the parts in the vineyard, Jesus is the true vine. Our Father is the vine dresser, and believers are the branches. You know, in this particular context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And, you know, here's the way it works. You're like, well, am I a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Are you following? Yeah, yeah, I know about Jesus, the historical figure. He was a good guy. Yeah, but you know what? Jesus gave us the Bible, So are you reading the Bible? Are you following Jesus? If you are, then you're a believer, and then you're a branch, and you will be able to bear fruit. These guys were called by Jesus, and they answered the call. um, As a matter of fact, it's interesting, Jesus repeatedly refers to these branches as being in him, in him, over and over again, which is a common way of basically saying that they are born-again believers. When you become a believer, you are in Christ, Read Ephesians one over and over again. Paul the apostle just talks about how blessed we are, how wealthy we are to be in Christ. And then in Second Corinthians five seventeen, the Bible says, "Therefore, if anyone is an in Christ, in Christ, and he's a new creation, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new." When you become a Christian, you get a new nature. It's so amazing. All your sins are washed away, and then this new life begins. That's how beautiful it is. We as believers, we are branches, and we are in Christ. And so those are the parts in the vineyard. Secondly, we see the purpose of the vineyard. And ultimately, uh, our purpose, or the purpose here we see, is to glorify God. You know, notice what it says there in verse 8. John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so do you guys ever think about that? You're like, what what does it mean to glorify God? What does that really mean? And there's a lot to it. I will say this, man, he is worthy of glory and worship and adoration. He made you, he maintains you, that heart that's beating is beating because of him. You know, the blessings that we receive are because of him and the blood of his son washes away our sins. So he's worthy to be worshipped and adored and glorified. But at the same time, when you're thinking, well, what does it mean to be, you know, God says, uh, you know, um, to be glorified, it almost sounds, and if you have a, a mind that doesn't think right, you might think that God has an ego Why does God want to be glorified? Because it is the best thing for us. Because here it is. If I glorify God, if I just point you to God, if I acknowledge the fact that you and I, we need God, if I magnify God to make God more visible in a world where he is invisible, then that will help us to be able to see, like the Bible says, you're supposed to be a light that shines so that people can see your good works and glorify God. See, every pastor, every Christian, every person, we have to be honest. We have to be upfront. I have to tell you guys, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched, warped man. I have a sin nature. But I am a vessel and I will say this, that God is good. So when you're looking at this, these grapes and you're like, man, you know, the vineyard, and you're like, wow, man, check out those branches. They're, you know, awesome. And, you know, you're worshiping the branches. How foolish is that? And then you look at the grapes even and you're thinking, wow, the grapes they are so beautiful and lush and you're, and you're, you know, giving all the credit and the glory to the grapes. I mean, how silly is that? When you see a vineyard and there's fruit and there is that, you know, well, we would see it in the church of supernatural things going on. And not the branches, not the grapes. It is the vine dresser. Wow. And that's why it's important for us to understand the reason we exist. Why do you exist? The other day, my son at work, someone asked him that question. What's the purpose of life? And I thank God, you know, we know the answer. We were created to glorify God and enjoy Him. That's my purpose, you know? And, And so when we're looking at this, we're seeing, okay, ultimately the purpose is really going to see, we're going to see it's for the glory of God. That's the purpose of the vineyard. That's the purpose of life. It's not just to have fun. It's not just to have finances. It's not just, oh, I want to get famous. You know, um, I I want followers, you know, of myself. I mean, absolutely not. God, like I was sharing at a funeral yesterday, I just said, man, I just want to disappear. I want to disappear. And I want you to know that the invitation to salvation doesn't come from a man. That the invitation for life comes from God. Let all the men disappear and let the people see the God who made them. See, that's what we want. We want to glorify God. And if ever anyone comes up and says, oh, you're so good, you're the best thing since sliced bread, you tell them, man, you don't know me. (laughs) Please don't think that. Remember I tell you guys this all the time. The best of men are men at best. And so the purpose of the vineyard ultimately is to glorify God and then practically it's to bear fruit. And so the word fruit is found six times in these eight verses emphasizing the truth that we are to bear fruit. And that's got to be the understanding of, wow, so this is why I live, huh? This is is why I live, to, to bear fruit. Wow, that's interesting, you know? Um, we are to be fruit bearers john 15 16 look what it says right here in john 15 verse 16 jesus said you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and do what and bear fruit is that have you ever have you ever caught that in life you're like oh that's why i live to bear fruit wow You know, when you think of fruit, you're like, okay, well, what is fruit, Manny? Well, there's two types of fruit in the Bible. Number one is moral fruit, and that's where we walk like Jesus. We have what's called the communicable attribute of Jesus, and so we're like him. That's moral fruit. Um, Galatians 5, it talks about things like love and joy and peace. As a matter of fact, I think it would be cool to look at that passage and that way you can read it and you can just basically examine your own life and just say, okay, Lord, does this describe me? Because <laughs> if that's the reason that I exist, the purpose is to bear fruit, then Lord, um, let it be real. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so some say, well, love, and then all the byproducts. But, you know, we have to ask ourselves when it comes to moral fruit, Lord, is this me? Ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, am I a loving person? If a person were to describe you, they were to describe you, Okay, there's the eulogy, and they're saying the word. Hey, you got to say something about him, about her. Would the word love come out of their mouth? Because Jesus even said in John 13, 34, by this all will know you're my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. And so am I a loving person? Right here, the second thing, is there joy? Am I a joyful person? Or is it more the Eeyore syndrome? Do I have peace? Ask yourself, do you have peace in your life? How about this? Long suffering. And I'm not saying here, you know, that 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 you know if you if you don't have it, then today you're not saved and you're doomed for hell forever. But I'll bet you there's a lot of people here today, if you were honest, you would say, Man, I have a short fuse. I have a short fuse. And if someone cuts me off in the freeway, man, I'm gonna cut them off we get mad like that and god says then you don't have the fruit of the spirit and that's the whole reason you live love joy peace long-suffering he mentions the kindness which is kind of like good works or benevolence and action are are you a kind is that the kind of person you are goodness is related to godliness You know, are you a faithful person? How about gentleness? Does that describe you? And then there's some people, at the end of the day, there is just no self-control. You know, if my body's telling me to do it, you know, my emotions are flaring up, man. I tell you what, I follow my heart. And, And the Bible says that's not the way it works. We are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's a different life. So back in John... There's the, the, the reason we are part of, you know, this vineyard and we're connected to the vine, the true vine, is that we would bear a fruit. Now, moral fruit is part of it, but I think the context primarily speaks of ministry fruit. It, it speaks of ministry fruit. And, and what that is, is not just walking like Jesus, but now we're working for or we're working with Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself, is that something that you're engaged in? And the Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirty, 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. And I like that because it kind of goes both things. You got the fruit, you know, the tree of life and, and you're out there winning souls. And so... If I could just ask you guys this question, you know, and not that we all have the gift of evangelism, but when was the last time you led someone to the Lord? Or when was the last time that you reached out to try to win someone to the Lord? Or if I can ask you this question, what's your part in the body of Christ? What work are we, are you, am I doing for Jesus, because as you do that, and it could be you praying for someone, it could be you reaching out, it could be you being an usher, it could be you being you know in the watchman security, I don't know, maybe God's called you to be a pastor, maybe because you want to know something whatever it is, it doesn't matter as long as it's something that God calls you to do, and you're part of a church, and we were had this baptism last Sunday and you're being faithful in your part of the body of Christ in the church, then all those people that are being baptized are a part of the fruit of your faithfulness. Do you understand that? And I'm doing these baptisms and I'm I'm crying and I'm weeping because this young lady gave her life to Christ after her brother died. Imagine that. Or, you know, the, the stories that are, that are told, that's fruit. And so when we're working for God and we find out whatever our gifts, our talents are, we give it back to God, then we get to see that fruit. You know, for us to see this is so important, this ministry fruit. Paul the Apostle said in Philippians 1.22, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor i mean it's not easy i will say this like the last two weeks of my life have probably been the been the busiest of my life we're talking funerals we're talking things going on in ministry we're talking phone calls i'm on the phone for an hour with that person an hour whatever just different things even you know ministering with my mom stuff a lot's going on and so i have to ask myself lord am i doing too much and the Lord, he gives me a peace. He says, no, Manny, there will be certain seasons where you're going to be laboring and toiling and you're going to be busy about my business. If you take it one day at a time, one moment by moment, every person individually, you're going to be good. But there has to be a labor for the Lord. You guys, I'm trying to get you ready. I want to get ready for the day that I stand before Jesus at the Bema of And the Bible talks about that and how we're going to give an account. And even in Matthew 25, when Jesus was having them, you know, hey, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? You know, some of you guys are so gifted. You're so talented. Let me ask you a question. Have you given that back to God? Are you using those resources and talents and time and treasures for the glory of God? Because the, the whole thing there in Matthew 25, Jesus was there and he asked them, hey, you know, what'd you do with it? And this one guy said, hey, here's your talent. I invested it, you know, whenever I got 10 more. And this one, I, I got two more. And then he took this last guy and he said, hey, what'd you do with your talent? And the guy said, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so I buried it. And so here, Jesus, here's the talent. I didn't lose it. But you didn't gain anything either. And you know what Jesus told the guy? He said, you wicked and lazy servants! If you knew a little bit about me, you would know that I love people. And the reason I put you on planet Earth is to help them. And I know the church is not perfect. I know the church is not perfect. Believe you me. How many of you here know that it stunk in Noah's Ark? You guys know that, right? (laughs) It's not perfect, but that is my ordained institution on planet Earth. And so you find your place, and you serve me. Because when you stand before Jesus, you don't want to be sorry. You know, Paul said, hey, if I live on, that means fruit from my labor. Paul wrote in Romans 1.13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, but I often plan to come to you, talking to the Romans, but I was hindered Until now, the reason is that I might have some fruit among you also. I tell you what, and I say this with all my heart, and I've seen it over the last 30 years of being a Christian and being involved in ministry. If you step out, your motives are sincere, you teach the word. Don't just give them the tickling stuff that makes them happy. No, you preach the word, and you're praying and you're doing it sincerely. Man, God will always honor that. You will see fruit. You will see changed lives. You will see saved souls. Paul said, I I just wanted to go to Rome because I want fruit there too. Colossians 1, 6, same thing. Which has come to you, says the gospel, and is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You know, and you're sharing the gospel and so that you tell people, hey, hey, bro, um, you're all messed up. You're a sinner like me. And if you were to die today in your sins, you know, you wouldn't go to heaven. Because heaven is a place for perfect people. But hey, here's the gospel. Here's the good news, bro. Jesus died for you on a cross. And when he died for you on the cross, all your sins were laid on him. And he suffered the punishment that you deserve because he experienced the everlasting wrath of God. He paid the price. They put him in a grave. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. And now all you have to do today is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not in your head though, in your heart. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Some people think that's ridiculous. The Greeks, the intellectuals. Some people think, well, that's too easy. That's the religious. That's the other church. But those who are being saved, that message right there is the power of God unto salvation. And you're throwing out the gospel and a thousand people say no. But then there's one that says yes and God saves them. It's not the power of the preacher. It's not the way it was delivered. It is the power of the gospel. And it brings forth fruit. And that's why you have to just keep telling people. You want to you wanna, you wanna bear fruit. Here in our text, we see the different amount of fruits. In verse 2, there are those who bear no fruit. Look at it says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So interesting, it's a branch in Jesus, but it's not bearing fruit. And so what the Lord does, in the Greek language, it means he lifts up. And so like I was telling you earlier, some of those branches, they'd be on the ground. And so they'd put like a little fork underneath it and they would lift it up. Maybe you're here today and you're you're honest. If you're honest, you're like, man, I haven't been serving God. I don't got no fruit. I have no fruit. And God says, okay, here I am to meet you today. I love you and I'm gonna use your life and you're gonna find out it's the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world. I'm gonna lift you up and I'm gonna use you. So that's number one, those who, who bear no fruit Number two, those who do bear fruit. Every branch in me says in verse two, that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And so some, no fruit. Some, fruit. Verse two, though, he says the reason he prunes it, why? That it may bear what? More fruit. And so uh, some are fresh and tooty, rooty, tooty. Some really have a lot of fruit, right? And so you have no fruit. That's sometimes, that's the case. Jesus, remember he even said, this one was sowed among uh, the the weeds and the cares of this life and the the deceitfulness of riches have choked in the word and he's become unfruitful. No fruit, some fruit, more fruit, but then he mentions much fruit. In verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And we see the same thing in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear fruit much fruit and that's what we want you're like well how can i bear more fruit or, or eventually much fruit and in verse two and three we see that there is the pruning process involved again every branch in me jesus says that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes have you ever experienced the pruning shears of god in your life maybe another way to put it Have you ever experienced pain? And I'll tell you, we all do. And I believe that God would never allow pain without a purpose. There's something that he's doing. He's meddling with the middle. He's going to start working deep, and he's going to start pruning our life. The word right here means to cleanse of filth and impurities and this has a way where the fire, it just gets hotter and the dross rises to the surface and now there's an opportunity to skim it off. It's the cutting off of useless shoots and sticks that sap the nourishment from the rest of the vine. Do you realize how powerful you can be in Christ if you were focused? That's what he's trying to say. Pruning enables the nourishment of the vine in every branch to be more focused and then hence more fruitful and productive. And so sometimes it's things that God does where you're going to get you through a trial and I hope that you see it the right way. James says, uh, count all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing or the refining of your faith it produces good things like Endurance. But what we find right here is that this pruning is not always you know, God you know, necessarily you know, doing it, although a lot of times it is. But in a roundabout way, he'll even use his word or different ways in which we are involved in the pruning as well. Now, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, uh, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, right? And so you're running a race, and you got a backpack on. Are you going to win? No. You, though, we, we have to, let me tell you guys this. I want you, God wants you to finish your race. And he doesn't just want you to finish your race. God wants you to win, to win, and you won't win unless you lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And the the weights are things that are, are you know, you can do that if you want. You can go home and get on the couch and eat 10 quesadillas and watch TV all night. If you want to do that, you have the freedom to do that, Right? I mean, there's a lot of things, I think, in our life. And I, again, I don't want to say that if you're a Christian, you have to be a monk, you know, that you can't enjoy yourself. But I just realized basically, though, and especially now that as I'm getting older, man, wow, time is precious. And I can't waste time. There's no such thing as killing time. You know, I've found that if I am going to do something like you know, go to an angel game with my family. That's just family time, and that's connected with God. And if I'm going to watch a movie with my wife or my daughter, it's still family time. But it's not movie time, and it's not necessarily angel time or dodger time. Everything all of a sudden becomes lived in light of eternity according to his will. Sometimes you have to cut out things in your life. You have to maybe do less in order to accomplish more. And that's why this pruning is so important for us. The Lord says, hey, you're bearing fruit? Good job. Okay, here's a trial. And he prunes us, or we are involved in the process. You know, the the weight that so easily ensnares us, things that are permissible, but they're not edifying, or here the sin that so easily ensnares us. And there's sins that easily ensnares us. And so for some maybe it is you're more vulnerable to certain things. It's your Achilles tendon, it is your weakness, right? And it could be sex drugs rock and roll, it could be drinking, it could be you have a short temper, it could be, you know, the the laziness or just whatever those inclinations might be and you are valuing that sin and you know it's forbidden by God in his word and you choose that I'm just going to keep doing it because, you know, it's who I am. But do you realize that who you are, we have a sin nature. We all do. If we were all just to do what our body told us to do, we'd be in big trouble. I think for some people, there are certain things, like Superman had what? Kryptonite. Does Spider-Man have a weakness? They probably all have something. I think they all do. I don't know about Spider-Man, but raid or something i'm just you know (laughs) we all have a weakness you lay aside the the weight and the sin was so easy and snares us and something that's interesting too i think in the context of the book of hebrews the sin is unbelief stop living a life of unbelief we're talking about the god of the universe here who loves you we're talking about the God of the universe and he's in you and you're in him and he wants to do supernatural things with your life. Why hold back? know, John 3.30 says, he must increase, I must decrease. There's number one, the pruning. This is how we bear more fruit. Number two, there's the abiding. Look if you would at verse four. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And notice how he repeats the word over and over again. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. And so uh, abiding, you guys, is important. You know, we're aware of the pruning. We now have to be involved in the abiding. It means to stay there. It means to remain. It means not to depart, not to tarry. And the, the dictionary in the English defines it as uh, continuing without fading. And what can happen uh, to some people is they drift away from God. You know, the Bible talks about that in the book of Hebrews. It says that sometimes we drift away. And we have to make sure that we maintain, Kenneth we said, a living communion with Christ. So abiding is, is, is remaining. So you keep praying. You keep reading that Bible. Even though sometimes you're tired and you're not up to it, you keep coming to church service. You keep serving him. You, you, you remain there. You rest there. But not just going through the motions. Because there might be some of you out there, and you're like, well, I do that, but I still feel far. Far. Here's where uh, abiding is so important, especially in the context here. Remember, the Lord says, I'm in you and you're in me. And I don't know if you understand that. I don't comprehend that. What do you mean, God, you're in me, I'm in you? I, all I know is that when I was reading it and I was praying, I was asking God what he meant by that. He was just saying, Manny, we have this union, this communion, this this relationship, this fellowship that is Deep that is deeper, and you can sing the songs, but if you're not like really singing the songs or you can pray the prayer, but if you're not really deeply praying those prayers, if you can read your Bible, but if you're just going through the motion and you're not really deeply reading the scriptures, then you're you're gonna you're gonna suffer what he's saying is abide in me. The way that you can keep from falling away or going backwards is by growing forwards. It is deep. I can tell you guys I love you. And you'll be like, big deal. I can tell you, my wife, I love you. You say it in a deeper way. This is what we need to do with God. This abiding, it goes beyond the superficial. And what we find right here, Psalm 61.4 says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Now, This is how the fruit is, is, is produced and it's increasing through the pruning and the abiding, which is deeper, and also the praying. Look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We see the same thing, if you would, look at verse 16 of this chapter. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Here it is. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So let me ask you a question. Is Does that describe your prayer life? Where you're like, I'm praying and God is answering. And I'm praying and God is answering. And I'm praying and God is answering. And I'm seeing it. And you're like, man, Manny, what are you talking about? That's for the name it and claim it guys. That's for the blab it and grab it guys. That's for those guys who are heretics. And those guys up there getting rich off the people, they're telling you, hey, all you got to do is pray in Jesus' name and get a Mercedes, that kind of stuff. Listen, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about right here is that you are so deep in a relationship with him that when you're praying and you fall on your knees and you get on your face and you're praying with God, it is so deep and so personal and so real that he puts his desires inside of you and he tells you exactly how to pray. And it happens. It happens. See, this is how we bear fruit. And you're going to see what a difference it makes. We see the parts in the vineyard, the purpose of the vineyard, and then in closing we see the peril at the vineyard. And you know John fifteen six it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them where? Into the fire. And they are burned. So, so someone says, I don't like that. I don't like that doctrine. Oh, are you God? When did you become God? God is God. And Jesus did everything he could other than forcing you to believe in him, to save you from this place. You know, in looking at this verse right here, it's difficult to dance around You know, some say, oh, you know what? The branches, uh, they were never, ever really believers. But believers are never, ever, ever. You know, in this context, when we look at it, I mean, unbelievers are never described as being in Christ. I mean, he's talking to his disciples here. You know, what we find, look again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's talking to his guys. It's interesting, like I said earlier, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, come to me, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here today, I pray you hear Jesus' voice. Jesus says, come to me. So you come to him. Now, in the last I am statement, Jesus says, Stay with me. Stay with me. Remain. Abide. Rest in me. And that's all. You know, some people talk about eternal security, once saved, always saved, all that kind of stuff. I've been taught by Pastor Chuck and my pastor, Pastor Rawl. they believe in abiding. And what that means is I am eternally secure as I rest and remain and abide in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. I always tell people, just keep believing until the day you see him face to face. Be careful, because life has a way of trying to knock you off, man. Peter, you know, he almost experienced it because he was overconfident, because he didn't pray, because he followed Jesus at a distance, because he was warming himself by the the enemy's fire. Judas did fall away. And I was thinking about this guy, Charles Templeton. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but in the 40s, him and Billy Graham, they were like the guys. They were gifted evangelists, right? Any of you guys ever heard of Billy Graham? I'm just curious. (laughs) Billy Graham is amazing. I love to hear him preach and some of his sermons and just the way that God has used him in such a tremendous way. But believe it or not, in the beginning... That was the man that everybody thought, this Charles Templeton guy, he is uh, anointed and he is gifted and he is amazing. But you guys remember the story. What ended up happening was he fell away. And he eventually came to a point where he claimed to be, or he pronounced himself to be an atheist. And he died. So was he ever saved? Sure seemed like it. But... When we look at these things, God is just saying, hey, uh, the goal here, you just keep believing. You know, and we have to make sure that we understand we want people to make it home. Hebrews 2.1 says, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. And that can happen. Before you know it, you don't even realize it, that you're gone. Hebrews 10.38 says, the just shall live by faith, But if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. How do the just live? How do they live, you guys? By faith. That's how we're saved. But prayer in Hebrews, when they were going back to Judaism, God says, but if they draw back, my soul has no pleasure. So for us, it's a heavy warning. The word peril, it means serious danger to consider. And so... um, Anybody here want to bear fruit for the glory of God? So, you want. Let me close you guys with a picture. i want to show you guys a picture. So, we, we, we did a funeral on Thursday. And then yesterday, um, there was another funeral for a beautiful young man named Robert Jones. So, I don't know if any of you guys know Norma. She used to attend the church when we were at the park. And uh, she's the brother, I mean, sister of Richard Ortiz. And so, um, Norma. As we're here right now, she's in heaven. She's in heaven. And you want to know why she's in heaven? Because her brother had this sweet, intimate, personal relationship, communion, union with Christ. And he loved her. He loved her. And he loved his other sister. I mean, you guys know Richard, man. That guy is so cool. Not perfect, but proper, sincere, genuine. And he just started winning his family to the Lord. Next thing you know, his nephew, uh, Leonard. uh, Some of you guys might remember Leonard, but when we were uh, at the park, he used to come. And he was a little hoodlum, to be honest, man. (laughs) And so much so that Leonard, when when I invited my nephew to church uh net i say hey, you know come you'll like it you know you get to spend the day with jesus people he got beat up by leonard at church <laughs> i mean imagine going to the youth ministry you're for the first time and so leonard was out there right but you want to know something like the children's ministry just kept loving on him and the youth ministry just kept loving on him and richard kept reaching out to him and bringing him and so and this funeral right here where norma's in heaven Guess who was preaching that day? Guess, Leonard. Fruit, change lives where they broke the cycle of prison and gang life, and you know the drugs, and you know abandoning their their wife and kids. Now I see him there, and he's got his kids, he's got his wife, he's a faithful man, and he loves Jesus. That's fruit from someone like. You know, like, like Richard, or I was thinking about here, um, Robert you know Jones, uh, an amazing young man. He grew up in El Monte all his life. I don't really know his whole story prior to his accident, but in 2002, he fell and he hit his head on the back of a forklift. And for 20 years, for 20 years, he was in a semi-comatose state. And for 20 years, his mom just loved him. She would go to him, and she would um, read the Bible to him, and she would pl- play praise music to him, and she would fellowship with him, and she would protect him for 20 years. And, you know, eventually, because he was able to communicate, he was there. He would blink, um, you know, with yes and, you know, no. And, and so, you know, the day came where God called him, you know, to pass. And he is in heaven because of the fruit of mom. See, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about having a deep, loving, genuine, real relationship with God, just like some of you have. And what a difference you're making, like Richard, like Yolanda, so that people will go to heaven forever and ever and ever. That's how God wants to use your life. But it begins with a personal relationship with Him.